for the privilege we have to gather freely and to look at your word. And Lord, you've chosen to reveal things to us that we can't even imagine. I pray you'll just give us understanding of who you are and how holy you are. In your name, amen. Well, a doctor and a little boy and a minister were in a small plane when it developed engine trouble. And the pilot grabbed a parachute and told the passengers they had better jump too, but there were only three parachutes left. So the doctor said, well, I saved lives, so I, I should live, and he took one and bailed out. The lawyer said, I'm a lawyer, and lawyers are the smartest people in the world, so I deserve to live. And so he jumped. And then the minister said to the little boy, my son, I've lived a long life and a full life. You take the last parachute. And the boy gave him the parachute back and said, not to worry. The smartest man in the world just took off with my backpack. <laughs> so I apologize if your husband's a lawyer or if you are. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> well, as we saw last week in chapter 6, it ended with people running for cover from the storms of God's judgment. They are crying out, who is able to stand? Well, who is able to stand are the 144,000 sealed Jewish evangelists that have embraced the gospel and they are exempt from the horrors and so they will stand. One can only imagine that people are thinking on earth things can't possibly get any worse. But they are sadly mistaken. The horror of the sealed judgments give way to much more severe suffering in the trumpet judgments. So the seventh seal is broken, verse 1, chapter 8. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. As the Lamb breaks the seventh seal, the most unusual things happen. This is the only place in Scripture where it says there was silence in heaven. The Old Testament predicts a time where there will be silence on earth. But here we see silence in heaven. For about 30 minutes, there's silence when the seventh seal is broken. The worship of the Lamb, the praise of all those living creatures we've seen, the angels, the church, the martyred tribulation saints, it all stops. It would seem that the judgment's about to happen with the seventh seal broken as the scroll is unrolled, causes all the redeemed as well as all the angels to simply stop their worship and fall silent as they see the horrors of what is written on that scroll. The response in heaven is awe and nothing but silence as they're soon to see the judgments to come. Truly, silence is the only appropriate response. John must have been amazed that suddenly all that worship he's seen in heaven just stops. This is probably the longest 30 minutes ever as everyone awaits God's final judgment on planet Earth. And I saw seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer and much incense was given to him so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of incense with the prayer of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth and there followed peals of thunder, sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. So John now sees these seven angels and they're given seven trumpets to blow as God summons the battle cry where he is going to invade the affairs of mankind. These are likely a special order of angels that normally stand before God and they seem to be set apart from the others. 
Now another angel, in addition to the seven with the trumpets, appears and stands at the altar of heaven, the once earthly altar for priests. Um, This is their counterpart in heaven to the altar of incense that Isaiah saw. You remember the vision he had in chapter 6, verse 6. And John tells us the angel put incense on the altar and the smoke would go up to God. And it's a picture of the prayer of saints going up to God. These are prayers for Satan to be destroyed, for evil and sin to finally be defeated, and for the deaths of the martyrs to finally be avenged so Christ will come back and rule. Of course, all believers have prayed through the centuries what Jesus told us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. But during the tribulation, just before the trumpet judgment sounds, the prayers of tribulation saints are seen as being offered up to God. God hears and is in full agreement with their prayers being offered to him. These prayers are about to be answered as God's wrath finally deals with their question that we saw back in chapter 6, how long? Verse 5, God is now about to send this judgment on the earth in answer to the accumulated prayers of his people. And though we're not part of the martyred tribulation believers pictured here, the truth still remains that when we pray for God's will to be done on earth as it's done in heaven, we are praying for this judgment to come. One person put it this way, prayer is not to get man's will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. So God's will is to bring the trumpet judgments to earth. And when the fire from the angels cast to the earth with thunder and lightning and earthquake, that is the signal then for the seven angels with the seven trumpets. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. The first sounded and there came hail and fire mixed with blood and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of waters. The name of the star is called Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because they were made bitter. The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck, so that a third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth, because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So no wonder there was silence in heaven as all this was about to begin. Each of these judgments affect nature. The first trumpet affects a third of the earth's vegetation because a third of all the trees and all the grass is burned up. This is the devastating effect of this hail and fire mixture mixed with blood. You may recall back in Egypt during the plagues that God sent them that those were literal judgments. And so there is no reason here in the, in the, the book of Revelation and during the tribulation to not believe these are literal judgments as well. They don't mean something else. The difference, though, at this time is that these are worldwide. Many have tried to offer up possible scientific causes for these things that happen. This judgment is thrown down from heaven by God with whatever means he chooses to do it. The result is catastrophic, as we saw Last week, as what little food source is left, much of it is burned up, leaving no grass for the animals to eat, 
and all of nature is thrown completely off. Massive loss of human life, and what sources are left are devastated. So the second trumpet affects the sea, and John describes something like a mountain was thrown into the sea. We don't know exactly what it is, a meteorite or something from the sky, but whatever John saw, it reminded him of a mountain. This will come crashing down in the sea, and a third of it becomes blood. That means a third of all the fish are going to die, as well as the shipping industry completely devastated with a third of all ships destroyed. We know that most of the earth is covered by water. Can you even imagine the tidal wave effects that will destroy so many ships? Suddenly, the entire earth is in complete economic failure and commerce and transportation is utterly crushed. This force is greater than an atomic bomb, and this is only the beginning of the trumpet judgments. The third trumpet, and this one, the burning star falls from the sky. It looks like a torch. It's not what we just saw. It's different. It disintegrates and falls into different bodies of fresh inland waters. And perhaps the Great Lakes, the Mississippi River, the Amazon, who knows, little brooks and places all over will be polluted and poisoned. As people have been struggling to quench their thirst anyway, they will go to what little water sources they have been depending on, only to die from drinking from it. The star is given the name wormwood because that's the effect it will have. Wormwood is a bitter desert plant, an herb that is bitter, and if too much is ingested, it is poisonous. And that's how the Old Testament refers to poison and to sorrow and to great bitterness as wormwood. So now, such a large part of the earth's surface and waters and rivers are destroyed and not usable. The fourth trumpet, this judgment from God turns its focus on the earth, um, from the earth to the heavens now. No doubt the people on earth are meeting um, in all different countries in the UN, having scientists gather, trying to explain what's going on and the horrors and what we can do to stop it. But now the assault is on the sun, moon, and stars, so a third of their light is diminished. So days will not be bright and sunny. The lack of light as well as lack of heat from the sun is going to cause temperatures to drop greatly. And how dark the nights will be. Clearly, this will cause violent storms, tidal waves, and more destruction of any possibly remaining crops so that more people and animals will die. Prophetically, Joel spoke of this in his small book in the Old Testament, chapter 2, verse 10. The sun and the moon grow dark. The star loses their brightness. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. The sun and moon grow dark. The stars lose their brightness. Such a prophetic word that will be fulfilled during the tribulation. Now you would think that the remaining people on earth would recognize that all this judgment is from God. I mean, we saw that before. Who can stand from the wrath of the Lamb? Um, and not just active, uh, random acts of a su super high power from somewhere or from nature. But because only a third of the earth experienced these judgments, parts of the earth will not be obliterated and impacted so at this point, God sends an eagle or a swift, an angel swift like an eagle to say to the people, woe, woe, woe. And it's to say to the people on earth, people might think that this is, could not possibly get any worse, but they are so wrong. When scripture refers to those who live on the earth, it refers to the people whose hearts are set on the things of this world. They live only this life for themselves. They have no concern for Jesus or the things of God. So God sends this warning to the people on the earth. Uh, stating the three woes for the three remaining trumpets about to sound. The wrath of God is coming to those who dwell on the earth. 
the people who reject the gospel message uh, that have been given, that's been given to them. They may be willing to admit these horrible events come from a superpower, come from a God, but they will refuse to repent. We'll see in a few moments in chapter 9, they're going to stick to their demon worship and murderers and sorceries and immorality. Yet God in his mercy always warns before judgment. What happens next is really hell comes to earth. And that is in the arrival of the locusts. The fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth. And the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went out from the pit. Like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given them, as the scorpions of the earth have power. In our culture, the word hell is used so lightly. It's used to talk about the weather, talk about food, talk about something that's annoying or something that's even good. But hell is a real place, and it should never be a term used as lightly or unjust. Satan has always been the most evil, vile enemy of God and of everything God loves. Think how he loved, think how Satan loved tormenting Job. God gave him permission. Just because Job was a godly man. He has always had a special hatred for Israel because they are the apple of God's eye. They are his chosen people. They are the ones God used to give us the scriptures and to bring our Messiah. Clearly, it is Satan and his host of demons driving the rise of anti-Semitism right now today and the attacks on Israel that we are seeing. But in these next uh, judgments, Satan will be used to serve God's purposes as he'll be permitted to launch his excruciating, horrific attacks on the human race. We see in verse 1 that unlike literal stars spoken of falling to the earth that we've just seen, this is a star from heaven which had already fallen. This star is given the uh, key to the bottomless pit. It seems reasonable to believe this is Satan himself, the devil, who is given the key. In the Old Testament, stars were another name for angels. Lucifer means brightness, and he's referred to as the star of the morning. John didn't actually see this being fallen from heaven. John saw him as the one who had already fallen in the past. As a fallen one, John saw that a key was given to him to unlock the bottomless pit. This is from the Greek word abyss, which is a reference to this temporary prison for demonic spirits. So even though there are many demons active today in Satan's army in this present world, there are also many demons at this very moment imprisoned in this bottomless pit. It is a place of torment. It is a literal place which houses demonic spirits that despise being there. As you recall, a third of the angels that God created joined Satan in his rebellion against God. So some are free to roam about the earth and do the bidding of their leader, Satan, but others have been confined. As you recall, when Jesus cast out the demon of the demoniac in Luke chapter 8, they pled with him, please don't send us to the abyss, to the place of torment. And during the tribulation, as this fifth trumpet sounds, these demons will get their wish and finally be released, and they will be set free from the bondage they've been in in order to invade the earth. Satan has been given this key to open the door and let them out, something he's always wanted to do. But God has not permitted it until this moment in time comes. The truth is we serve a great God who has power over Satan and his army, and in reality, they can do nothing that 
they, on their own without God's permission. So we see in verse 2 this tremendous blast of smoke bursts from the pit as it's open. It gushes out with such a force that the sun and the air is darkened by it. But it isn't just smoke coming from the pit. Verse 3 tells us that these powerful locusts who have scorpion-like power to bring suffering and pain come out of this pit. Wave after wave of these locust-like demons form, uh, come out as an army to attack. They do not feed on earth's vegetation like normal locusts do. These are led by their king, Apollyon. They are terrifying demons who give the ability to inflict scorpion-like stings on people for five long months. There are many different scorpions on the earth. <clears throat> they produce different varying levels of excruciating pain. But these locusts-like creatures are demons who have the mobility of a locust and the sting of a scorpion. Like the worst ever locust attack will come these creatures bringing torment to everyone. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, and death flees from them. So God does not allow these locusts to do the things on earth, that local a normal earth locust do with eating green things. Instead, they will do what is not natural, and that is they will bring harm to people. Specifically, it will be only those without the seal of God in their foreheads that will be tormented by these creatures. It makes sense that believers who have come to faith because of the witness of the evangelists during the tribulation will be preserved just as the Lord protected the nation of Israel from the effects of the Egyptian plagues back in Exodus. Anyone... Uh, any who have the seal of God would obviously be the 144,000 Jewish evangelists and then those who are the redeemed who they've witnessed to and are not just the regular people dwelling on the earth they become believers this seal means that they belong to God and with that being the case it would make more sense that God would protect them from these actual forces of hell clearly most will be martyred very quickly after sorry <laughs> very quickly after having come to faith in, in Jesus. But should some come to faith late in the process, it makes sense that they are, until they are martyred, they'll be protected from these hellish attacks intended for the unbelievers in this world who continue to shake their fist at God in defiance. We see here that God is the one in charge of Satan and his demons, and they can only do what he permits them. In verse 5, they are permitted to torment people for five months, but this wicked sting, they, they can't die from it. The, the normal lifespan of a locust is five months, usually May to September, but these will be absolutely a horrendous time with no escape from them. They will squeeze in through windows in cars, windows in homes, air conditioning vents, whatever, and the pain they cause will make people just want to die. One person explained it this way, the pain from the sting of a scorpion, though not usually fatal, is perhaps the most intense that any animal can inflict upon a human body. A boy stung in the foot by a scorpion rolled on the ground, grinding his teeth, foaming at the mouth. And it was a long time before his complaining moderated and he could make no use of his foot that was inflamed. That's just a typical one on earth here. So it's hard to wrap our minds around this happening 
worldwide and that people will try to get relief by killing themselves, but God is not going to let them have success. So don't ask me how that will be, but it will be. What is going on in this moment is a taste of hell right here on earth. In hell, it is endless suffering and there is no relief. But five months will pass and the agony will stop. And so will men and women run to Christ in repentance and faith before it's too late? Verse 21 tells us they did not repent. Verses 7 through 11, the fierceness of the locusts is now described by John as he talks about these demonic creatures and what they actually look like. And he starts with the head and moves backwards. The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. And on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold. And their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of women. And their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. They have tails like scorpions and stings. And in their tail is the power to hurt men for five months. There's no horror movie that can compete with the reality of what this is going to be on earth. Like locusts that bring mass devastation, so these demonic creatures will spread God's judgment everywhere. Everything John uses to describe them is like, like something, as he's struggling to communicate what this very unfamiliar demonic army looks like. They look like horses that are prepared to battle, stomping their feet, eager to carry out their mission of horror. These demons have crowns on their heads indicating they are victorious. They are unstoppable. Men will have no weapon that will cause them to stop what they're doing. Faces like men tell us they are not insects, but rather intelligent beings. Hair like women, I don't know, perhaps speaks of their ability to lure people to them, so they strike them with their venom. Teeth like lion describes how powerful and deadly they will be as they rip into their victims. Breastplates of iron, usually worn by military soldiers to protect their vital organs, indicates that they will be impossible to destroy. The sound of their wings as they're flying throughout the earth is like loud chariots and horses all rushing into battle. I can't begin to imagine the fear and hysteria and the screaming of hearing them rush and knowing that they're coming to sting you yet again and again. Their only mission is to bring pain to people. And that's really nothing new when it comes to Satan. There are many examples in scriptures of demon-possessed people who are described Uh, with cruel residing demons. And what do they do? They inflict untold pain on their victims and and self-destruction. They still do that today. Satan is a liar and a murderer. And so he deceives people with the use of drugs. And when our minds are not in our control because of drugs, it's an open arena for Satan and his demons. He's the one who tempts people to take their own life. Self-destruction. Five months is a very long time to suffer like this. And we see in verse 11 that this army of demons has a king. In Greek, his name is Apollyon. Satan himself has had freedom to do his evil deeds. So apparently this king must have been a high-ranking demon in Satan's army that had been sent to the pit with the others. Eventually, Satan and all of his army will be cast into hell, but that is yet future. Abaddon is an Old Testament term describing the place of eternal punishment, while Apollyon is from the Greek word to destroy. This is just the first woe of God's wrath. It's not yet complete. Two woes with the sixth and seventh trumpet and bold judgments are yet to come. 
As I've said before, this is going to be so terrifying for everyone on this planet. So we ought to care about the people on this planet enough to tell them the truth of the gospel, that there is no hope without coming to faith in Christ and surrendering your life to him. For time's sake, I can't read the next passage. I will just comment on verses 13 through 21 as we look at the sixth judgment. So when the sixth judgment trumpet blows, John hears a voice from the four horns of the golden altar in heaven. In the earthly tabernacle, this is where the altar was where the priest would burn incense to God, and it represented the prayers of the saints ascending up to heaven. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest took the blood from the altar of sacrifice and sprinkled it on the four golden horns of the altar of incense. He was calling out to God to have mercy for his people. So the horns spoke of mercy and forgiveness. But in this scene, John hears a voice cry out for the release of judgment in the form of four angels. In verse 14, it seems that God is saying to let the sixth trumpet jump, uh, judgment fall on all who have not come to him for mercy and forgiveness. God's judgments only come after mercy has been offered and rejected. The time of mercy, so now it has passed. So now the worst judgments are going to be unleashed. In verse 14, the angels commanded to release four angels bound at the Euphrates River. They're still bound right now. The term angels here refers to fallen angels known as demons. God's angels, holy angels are not bound. And these have been prepared for this very moment, hour, day, month, and year that God has designated. So this, during the midpoint of the tribulation, these four demonic beings will be released in order to kill a third of mankind. And they will use a powerful army, verse 16 says, of 200 million. Then in verse 17, we read that of this demonic legion of nightmarish animals indwelt by demons attack. The emphasis seems to be on the horses, not their riders. Like a, the locust-like creatures in the first woe judgment. So these horse-like creatures will be uh, demonic. The riders have breastplates of burning flame and the horses have heads that look like a lion and act like one too. And out of the lion's head there comes fire, smoke, brimstone shooting from their mouths. The Bible refers to supernatural armies like these in the spirit world in 1 Kings 2 and 6. Horses were associated with supernatural activity in the past and they will be here in the future. By this time... But this time, rather, they'll be demonic, like no creature ever seen before. They, they leave a horrifying trail, in verse 18, of death in their path. One-third of the remaining population will be killed. We have seen a fourth die in chapter 6, verse 8. A fourth die in the sealed judgments. Now a third of mankind will be killed by these hell-like creatures. This means half of the world's population will be wiped out by the end of the three and a half years. These victims will be killed by flames, suffocated by smoke, and poisoned by sulfurous gas. And this all really is a taste of hell. Verse 19, even the tails of these horses will have serpents with heads on them to bite and destroy people. These are real creatures. This is not a sci-fi horror movie. They will be killing real people. So what is the response by the remaining people still alive? Verses 20 and 21 tell us in these stunning last verses that people will continue to live in their rebellion toward God even as he sends these judgments. Their hearts seem to grow harder and harder in rebellion. They're actually hating him more and more. 
They will worship their demons, their idols, and in reality, every false deity is a demon worship. False religion is full of the supernatural, ladies, because those are great opportunities for demons to lure people into a false religious system. At this future time in history, there will be such a rise of idolatry, spiritism, mysticism, Satanism, and all other forms of false religion. That will be the norm. And the result of idolatry will be violent crimes of murder, family members murdering each other, and obviously any who would choose to believe the message of the 144,000 uh, will be the targets of rage and hatred. John also mentions sorceries, which in the Greek word, you know, that's where we get our word pharmacy from. Because drugs were used and still are used, as one person put, to induce a higher religious state of communication with deities. This word can also include charms, seances, witchcraft, incantations, magic spells, contacting of mediums. People will go deeper and deeper into false religious and satanic activity. Immorality is mentioned as this sin will be rampant as well as every kind of perversion that is being accepted and pushed on us and normalized today will be rampant. And clearly stealing will be a way of life. Honesty will not exist as people fight and kill to get food, to get medicine, to get water. The truth is, ladies, the human heart is desperately wicked, as Jeremiah says, and it's defiant so that even in the most severe judgment, their hearts are not softened. Even as they experience hell on earth, they will not repent or bend their wills, but will fuel their deep hatred for God. So, these events are baffling to our imagination, yet all these things are going to happen just as John recorded for us. So we sit here in a nice air-conditioned room, comfortable. But the truth is, right now, we have the opportunity to make sure we are in a right relationship with God. It is not too late today. Each of us has been given the opportunity and been called by God to repent of your sin. Turn from the sin you know of in your life. Call on Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. He is the one who died in your place and offers you mercy and grace and forgiveness. This is a decision that cannot be put off for another day. The risk is too high. We could, each one of us, be killed when we leave the study today. And hell is a real place, a real place of torment, of suffering, and it lasts for forever. You can't even wrap your head around that. So if you've trusted him as your savior, I hope you will go home and fall on your knees and tell him how thankful you are that he has saved you from hell. Then tell others so they can know the amazing good news and hope. God chooses to use ordinary people like you and me to communicate the good news of the gospel that we can be forgiven of our sins, that Jesus came to spare us from all this. Father, these truths are hard to read, hard to imagine and grasp. But as we looked at Revelation 1, that this whole book is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to see you even in this. How often we take our own sins lightly, like it's no big deal that we blew it again, that we continue in the same sinful patterns. But you are holy and just. We see this here very clearly. I pray that we would live lives of obedience and be grateful for our salvation and motivated to honor you by living obedient lives, Lord. I praise you that you are holy, that you are just, that you are good, and that always there's grace and mercy before judgment.
I pray that you'll protect us as we go our separate ways now. In your name, amen.